Good morning, everyone, and we are going to be continuing in our Songs for Summer series. We're going to be in Psalm 67 this morning. It is written by David, although it's not specified here in your Bibles, but the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, gives credit to David as being the author of Psalm 67, and it seems to fit his style. So we don't really have a reason to argue against that. It's a very short psalm. It's seven verses long. In fact, it's so short that Martin Luther, in his five-volume work on the book of Psalms, decided that he was going to skip Psalm 67. I don't know why, necessarily, but I want you to know that this morning we're not going to skip Psalm 67. We're going to go into very good detail on this beautiful psalm. The other thing to know is that because it's only seven verses long, the sermon will not be super long, Lord willing, this morning either. I really don't have any excuse for going over on this one, although I can find reasons, trust me. So just know that. So turn to Psalm 67. You know, there was a book that came out probably about 20 years ago. And it was based upon a couple verses out of 1 Chronicles chapter 4. And many of you know it. It was called The Prayer of Jabez. And Bruce Wilkerson wrote a book. It was called Prayer of Jabez, Breaking Through to the Blessed Life. The Blessed Life. 1 Chronicles 4.10 says this. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me. And keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Now, it was a good book, and I read it and considered it, and I thought that's interesting because I really didn't know much about Jabez up until that point, until I read that book. And it has some good things in it. It talks about God's hands being on him. There's the prayer there to enlarge my territory. God, would you please enlarge my sphere of influence for your sake but there's a couple things about the book and it became the book became just this christian industry this this christian uh, almost a franchise in and of itself i mean there were t-shirts there were books written about prayer of jabez there were albums of music written about i mean it just became this all-encompassing thing and the one thing i would say is beware about basing your book on a verse or two. By that I mean we need to include all of God's scripture when we talk about any topic, whatever it might be. And again, there were some good things in that book. It talks about God's hand being on him. Lord, would you keep me from pain? Interestingly enough, his word, the word Jabez literally means he causes pain. That's what Jabez literally means. So, God, would you please keep me from pain, which is an interesting request. But in that verse is this idea of blessing. Notice that the mention of God in 1 Chronicles 4.10 is God's mentioned twice. Jabez is mentioned five times. And what I want us to see today is, as we look at Psalm 67, the question, a couple questions asked, is it wrong to ask God to bless me? Is it wrong to do that? And I would say no. There's nothing necessarily wrong with asking God 
to bless us. David will do that today in Psalm 67. God loves his people. He delights to bless his people. But maybe a more important question is why? Why should we ask God to bless us? And that is what Psalm 67 is going to be dealing with. According to Psalm 67, there's one fundamental reason that God blesses his people. In fact, I've entitled this sermon, We Are Blessed on Purpose. There's a purpose for God's blessing in our life. And so the question is, what is that purpose? And that's what we're going to see today in Psalm 67. So I just want to read this chapter first, and we don't have slides for this, so I'm just going to read the seven verses here. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us, Selah, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest, God. Our God blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. I love verse 1 in this chapter. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. That is just a beautiful verse. There's the request in verse one for God's blessing. David recognizes the source of blessing. It's God. It's Elohim. It's God the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the almighty. That is where our gifts, that is where our blessings come from. James 1.17 tells us this. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything, every blessing, every gift, everything that is good in our lives has its source in him, God. And David recognizes that. But then he asks God for three things, three requests. And those three requests should sound familiar, and they would to David, because they come out of a passage back in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. This was a blessing that the high priest would pray on the people of Israel. And here is the context. This is where it originated, Numbers 6, verses 22 through 26. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, the high priests, to follow. This is how you are to bless the Israelites, say to them, and this sounds familiar to what I just read, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That was the high priestly blessing that would be prayed over the people of Israel. And so David had that in his mind and he would be very familiar with that. And it's like he's thinking about that passage and that blessing, and he's saying, I want to apply that now in my day, in my situation here. 
And so he asks, first of all, for God's grace. May God be gracious to us. God's grace is where it all starts. It's something we don't deserve. It's something we can't earn. It's unmerited favor of God upon our lives. There's that great story that Luke tells in chapter 18. Tax collector and the Pharisee praying in the temple. The Pharisee goes into the temple and he prays to God and he says, God, I'm so glad I'm not like everybody else. And then he lists out everybody else. And then he continues on in his prayer. And then the scene shifts to the tax collector. And the tax collector just simply comes before God and says this, may the Lord be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where his prayer starts. And that's what David is saying here. We need God's grace. We need to recognize our sin. We need to recognize our need before God, before anything. God be merciful to us, sinners. Spurgeon says the best saints and the worst sinners may unite in this petition. doesn't matter who we are. We need God's grace. Then, God's blessing. Once we recognize our sins, once our sins are accounted for, and if you think about it in terms of the high priestly blessing of the people, there was a recognition that sacrifice had to come first. As part of their worship, there was a recognition of sin, and there was a sacrifice that took place. Then, there was this request for God's blessing. We can enter into God's blessing once we recognize our need for him, once we recognize his dealing with our sins or the person of Jesus Christ. That's the way we come before God. And then the third request, may God make his face shine on us. It's like as God looks on us, just knowing that he's pleased with us, that he looks on us with favor, that we can know God. It's a personal relationship going on there. A Middle Eastern monarch of David's time revealed in his facial expression pleasure or displeasure whenever people would enter into their presence. They would know immediately whether they were being looked upon with pleasure or displeasure. I have kind of a little habit tradition when my son-in-law and daughter Katie and Kenny come up and visit us they pull into our driveway with their car and I see the car pull in the first thing I do is I walk out the door I go out to their car and I put my smiling face right up to the back window and I look in on my two grandsons Finn and Theo they're in my living room right now so Finn and Theo hi if you're watching And I just put my face up against the glass because I want them to know that I love them. I want them to know I'm excited that they're they're here. And besides that, I want to see their smiling face return back to me. And it's just something that I delight in. And that's what David is speaking of here. May God's face just shine on us. May we know that we are loved. May we know that we are accepted in him. And we do in Christ we know that because of what Christ has done for us we are loved and accepted by God 
There's a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. It says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. In Christ, we see God's glory because Jesus is God. But more than that, because of Christ, we can enter into that relationship with Christ. Verse 1 ends with that word that Phil mentioned last week, Selah. It is a time. It's a word that we really don't know a lot about, but I think the idea is there. It's a, we take time to pause and reflect. And in the NIV, you don't see it, but it's noted down at the bottom. But I think it's an important word to leave there in the flow of the chapter because I think after verse one we should take some time to pause and consider God's grace in our life, his blessing in our life, and his shining face that he shines on us. You know, thinking about those three things, bless us here in this life as well as really all eternity. Think about, and just pause for a second to think about God's grace, his blessing, and his shining face looking down on you. So we have a request for God's blessing. David says, God, would you please bless us? Then in verse two, he gives us the reason for God's blessing. Why? So that, here's why, David says, I want you to bless us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. It goes from us, the focus in verse one, to your, your ways, your salvation, God. The focus is God's glory. It's his ways and his salvation. Notice here that David is not saying, God, please bless me, please bless me, so I can be happy. God, please bless me so that I can be comfortable in this life. God, please bless me so that I can be independently wealthy and retire early. That would be fantastic. Or bless me so that others will be envious of me. Or bless me so that I can be successful. Or bless me so that life will work out the way that I want it to work out. He's not saying that at all. In fact, and hear me closely, he's not even saying primarily bless me so that I can bless others, although that's here. Primarily, David is saying, God, please bless us. Bless me so that you can be glorified and that your name can be known amongst all the nations. In the Westminster Catechism, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our purpose, our sole purpose for being here is to give glory to God and to enjoy him forever. How can God's ways be known? If that is the purpose of our blessing, then how can people know God's ways? Well, 
He sent his son to this earth. God's ways can be known through the person of Christ. He came to show us God's ways. We have the word of God. We can read this and begin to understand a little concept of who God is and his ways. But I think the biggest way that people can know God's ways today is you and I in our lives as we live Christ, as we speak the word of God, as we invite people to read the word of God, simply living it out. John Stott says, it may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. It's on us, is what he's saying. God's word is clear. Christ came, gave his life. The biggest hindrance sometimes can be our lives, the way we live, the way we give an example to other people can be a hindrance to evangelism. We don't want that to be, do we? We want our lives to be a clear picture of God's ways and his salvation for other people. The focus is God's glory. The scope, in verse 2, is on earth for all nations. And I know in the back of David's mind, and he would have known this, there's another Old Testament passage that is in play here. And it's the Abrahamic covenant going back into the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, when God spoke with Abraham. Here's what he says. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and listen to what he says about blessing. I will bless you, number one. I will make your name great. Number two, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He said, I will bless you. You will be a blessing to other people. And through you, all peoples will be blessed. There's this flow of blessing that appears in this Abrahamic covenant. But ultimately, the goal is that all people would experience God's blessing through the nation of Israel, the coming of the promised Messiah, Christ himself. And that was the promised blessing that was coming through Abram in that. So this high priestly prayer for Israel's blessing is now being expanded beyond Israel's borders to all people. That is our mandate today as the church, to make his name known to all nations. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. This is a missionary psalm. A lot of the commentaries spoke of that, and it's so true. The focus in verse 1 is us. Bless us. Then, verse 2, it's you. Then, from really verse 3 through verse 7, it's everyone. All peoples, all nations, the world, to the ends of the earth, Lord. That's the focus. That's the scope here. 
God's purpose is that everyone come to know him. There's a great verse in Revelation 5.9. I don't have a slide of it, Ethan, but here's what it says. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. I know for a fact that Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for everyone on this earth, including people from the Kimial tribe. Huh? Who are the Kimial people? Well, those of you that are familiar with Orin and Rosa Kid know exactly who the Kimial people are. We just met last Monday night with Orin. He came and presented to the missions committee, and he spoke of his work there in West Papua, Indonesia. It is the fourth largest nation in the world population behind China, India, the U.S., Indonesia's fourth. It is the largest Muslim nation in the world. It is one of the largest by area in the world, too, and it has hundreds of islands. It's an island nation. But Orin and Rosa have spent their life bringing the gospel so that people that did not know about Christ could know him. It started out in the 60s. There was a couple there that came in as missionaries. And Phil Masters and another worker there were cannibalized by the people of that area, the Kimials. And the house that he lived in is still there today in in. Uh, the area where Ornarosa were. In the 70s, Ornarosa came in to that same area. Now you can imagine, I would be, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they killed and ate the first guy, and his, you know, his wife lived, by the way, and continued to minister to the people. But I would be thinking, I would be a little nervous, to be honest, going in there at first. But by God's grace, starting in the 70s and working up to the present day, the ministry continues on to the point now where, he mentioned this, there are 90 churches in the area around Corpoon. 90 churches. There's a lot of little villages kind of in the mountainous area there. There's a Christian school now in Corpoon. There is a medical clinic with Christian doctors and nurses in Corpoon. Plus, the entire New Testament has been translated into their language, the Kimial language, and a large portion of the Old Testament has been and will continue to be translated into their language for the purpose that they can read God's word in their language. What a beautiful illustration of how the gospel met through Orn and Rosa. They became God's blessing, literally, to the people of Indonesia and West Papua, and more specifically, Corpoon. So God's purpose in blessing is that all people would know him for his glory. Then verses three to five speak of this response to God's blessing. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity, and guide the nations of the earth. Then verse five is a repeat of verse three. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples 
praise you. There's this progression from knowing God to showing God, showing Him God's ways in our lives to praising God. We're blessed and we return the blessing to God in the form of praise. There's that chorus that we sing, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. That's what's going on for your glory, God. You know, we enjoy God most fully when we praise Him. That's how we enjoy God the most. When we talk about God and we say, that was great, what God did in my life, and we share stories and we praise Him. That's a wonderful way to enjoy God. But how much greater is it when we invite other people into that and praise God together? So it goes from that was great to wasn't that great? Question mark. You know, I got to see the Rose Bowl back in January 1st. It seems like an eternity ago now. And it would have been a great adventure to go down there by myself and enjoy the football game. I would have had a great time. It was a beautiful day, Pasadena. You're in this valley, down in this beautiful valley with the mountains around you, the sun shining, the smell of barbecue, just the sounds of football and the joy and the Oregon won and I was elated. But what made it extra special was I was there with three other people. Michael Porter, who got the tickets for us. I was there with my son-in-law, Kenny, and my son, Jeremy. So as we're enjoying this great event, we're enjoying it together. And we got to just, wasn't that great? And talk about it. And to continue to talk about it. And that's what David is getting at here. I love God. I'm aware of how great he is. And I, and I want to praise him. But how much greater it is to invite other people in to that praise. Last Thursday, our men's group met downstairs and we finished up the great book of Nehemiah together. And we had a great Bible study and we were talking about all that we learned in that book. And we prayed for each other. And at the end, I just kind of casually um, asked Steve Bland. I said, Steve, how are you doing? Steve has been going through some treatments, some cancer treatments. And he just turned and he said to all of us, he said, six months of chemo is over. And I said, really, how, how, have they told you, you know, the results? How are you doing? And he said the doctor just recently had told him that he is cancer-free. So we went from a time of just kind of casual conversation, chit-chatting about what's going on in our lives, to everybody then was focused on this moment of praise and just giving glory to God and entering into the praise together and just saying, God, you are so great. Thank you. And just praising with him, praising with Steve. And there's just this lifting up of praise going out. And it was just a beautiful reminder of when we invite other people in, it just expounds the praise. You know, that's what evangelism and missions is really all about, if you think about it. We're simply inviting others into what we know to be true, into what we already know and love and are excited about. And so we just want other people to take part in that. John Piper, in one of his books, says, missions exist because worship doesn't. What he's saying there is, 
God's desire is that all people worship him. The reason that missions goes on is because there's people in this world that don't know about him, that aren't worshiping him. That's the purpose of what missions is really all about. Revelation 7, 9. We read in Revelation 5, 9 that Jesus' blood purchased people from every nation, tongue, tribe. Here's what Revelation 7, 9 says. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every, there it is, nation, tribe, people, and language. They'd been purchased. Now they're worshiping around the throne. It's come into fruition. They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb, wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. All of the people, all people are praising. He repeats, verse 3 and verse 5 repeat. And they're kind of bookends, but right in the middle is verse 4. It talks about the praise of God, but then there's gladness and songs of joy. Look at verse 4. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For two reasons. Number one, you rule the peoples with equity. Number two, you guide the nations of the earth. There's God's ways. There's God's salvation in verse two. There's God's praise in verse three and five. Now we have an anticipation of God's kingdom. This is the return of Christ. This is now, but not fully yet. This is looking ahead to a day when Christ returns and rules on this earth, and it says he's gonna rule with equity. Wow, there's a loaded word, isn't it, today? In our culture today, we're struggling with that one a little bit. When he rules, nations and people are liberated from oppression. When he rules, everyone is going to be treated with equity. Now, equity is an interesting word. It's the ideal, but it's not the reality, is it? In fact, we have a phrase that we often say. We'll say, in quotes, all things being equal, in quotes, dot, dot, dot. In the reality, we know in our hearts and our minds, all things are not equal. If I were to be honest with myself, there's times where I don't treat people equally. There's times where I might favor someone over someone else because I'm human. And I've had to ask forgiveness of this in the past, but that's not who God is. There's a picture of Lady Justice that you're probably, you've probably seen. And it's a lady holding up the scales of justice but what's interesting about that, and you've seen that, is the blindfold. It doesn't mean that justice goes without seeing on one hand because you need to take into account all of the facts associated. But what that's saying is that justice happens impartially. It doesn't happen with favoritism. Seeing one person as better than another. So it's kind of blind justice, we call that. And again, that is the way God rules. Man does not. But there's another side to this idea of God being our judge. And the truth is that God judges righteously. God's justice is holy. So there's a part of that 
to me that says, uh-oh, <laughs> because I, in and of myself, am not righteous. I am not holy in and of myself. It is only through Christ. So when I speak of God being the righteous judge, I'm thankful because I understand that it's only because of Christ that he took my sin, that he bore my sin, that I am righteous only through him. And that when God looks at me, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. So I'm reminded of that fact and I'm grateful for that fact that he bore our punishment for us. God's rule is equal. He rules with equity, but he also guides us. There's this beautiful God's strength on one side. He is the judge. He is a ruler. But on the other side, he's like a shepherd guiding us along. God guided his people Israel through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what that pillar meant was his first and foremost, his presence with the people of Israel. It reminded them that God was there with them. When Moses would go out to the tent of meeting outside the camp to meet with God, that pillar of cloud or fire, depending on his night or day, would be there over the tent of meeting as a symbol that God's presence was there. But it was also God's guidance as they were going through the desert. It would, as it would move, they would move. It was God's guidance for the people of Israel. We need those two things in our lives today, don't we? We need God's presence in our lives. We need his guidance. So the question is, where do we see God's presence and God's guidance today in our lives? The answer is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who guides us using God's word. He guides us, lets us know how to walk in God's ways. We need that. So God is this ruler who rules with equity. He is our guide who guides us along through the Holy Spirit. At the end of verse four, there's another Selah. It's just this Stop, pause, reflect. Pause and reflect. Take a few moments in your mind just to think about God as your judge, how he rules, and God as your guide, how he guides our lives and what that means in your life and to praise him for that. Verses six to seven wrap it up. And it's interesting, verse one and two and verse six and seven are very similar. They speak of God's blessing and they speak of the benefit of God's blessing on all of the world for God's glory. So the chapter begins with that and it's gonna end with that. Chapters in verses six to seven, here's what it says. It says the land yields its harvest God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. On this 4th of July, 
may we continue to pray for God's blessing on us. And I'm speaking of us as believers, as a church, as a community here, but also as a nation. May God bless this country. Continue to pray that, please. We need it. We know that. But yet, God's blessing is beyond us. It's okay to focus on us as a nation and celebrate us. That's what we do. But God's heart is for the nations. It's for the world. And in verse 6, it speaks of this harvest. It's like when the earth knows God's ways, when people are following God's ways, the benefit and the blessing of that is widespread. It includes the earth. It includes the harvest. The harvest is full. The land yields a full harvest, David says. But I think ultimately David's thinking in terms of souls and people. Not just grain, fruit, vegetables, although it's true, but there's a harvest of people coming to know God like never before. It's possible this psalm was written during the harvest season or for a harvest festival. We don't know for sure. But again, I think it goes beyond that. To David's, he's looking out and seeing the harvest of people. I know Jesus did that. He said in Luke 10, verse 2, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. They were, he was sending out 72 ahead of him to go into the villages, to preach the gospel to people, and in preparation, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. The harvest, harvest is there. It's ready. The problem is with the laborers. There's just not enough. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field to harvest. That's a beautiful reminder for us, isn't it? Here's a very practical application from this for us today. And I, somebody mentioned this the other day and it hit me with this verse specifically. They said, do this. If you want something practical as a reminder, set an alarm, whether it be on your phone, on your whatever. If you have a, you know, a, something on your wrist or something you carry in your pocket to remind you that every day at 10.02, Luke 10, verse 2, every day at 10.02 a.m. or p.m. to pray the Lord of the harvest to send harvesters into the field. I thought, what a beautiful, practical way to be reminded of this at 10.02 every day. I'm just gonna pray this. Lord, would you please send out the laborers into the harvest. A couple other ideas for opening up our minds to the needs of, our nation, of the nation and the world as a whole. There's a great book, it's been out for many years and they keep upgrading it and updating it. It's called Operation World. This book is basically a prayer guide for the nations. So all of the nations of the world are represented in this book and it gives you just a brief, where is it? <laughs> Geographically, that's helpful. What are just some needs of that particular nation that you can pray about? And I would encourage you to get that book. And it gets revised and updated as, you know, as time goes on. Um, but I would encourage you to have that on your shelf and just pray 
for nations as God lays it on your heart. And that Operation World is just a great resource for that. There's also an organization online, it's called the Joshua Project. This is a, the whole idea here is that God would send out laborers into the unreached parts of our world. And they break down the world into three broad categories. The first category is called frontier. The idea there is these are parts of the world where nothing is happening in regards to the gospel. For all practical purposes, there's nothing happening here and they need help totally from outside for anything to happen. They need missionaries. So that is the frontier level. Then the next level is unreached. There's something happening. There's small pockets maybe of missionaries scattered, but there's not enough there in and of itself for that nation to continue on and to grow and to um, grow their own churches and things like that. That is the unreached But then there's the third level called reach. That is where there's a sufficient number of indigenous people that can now train up and raise up churches in their own language, in their own culture. And basically we are just a resource maybe of sending help here and there, but they can manage on their own in that sense. So frontier, where they're out there on the fringes and they need someone to go in and tell them about Jesus and to bring the gospel for the first time maybe. Then there's the unreached where they just don't have enough people and resources on their own. Then there's the reached where people are carrying on the church themselves. That is the Kimiol people. When Orna Rosa went, they were frontier. Then They progressed into unreached. Then, through the ministry of Orna Rosa, today they carry on the ministry there. And Orna Rosa simply go back for maybe a month or two uh, each year to make sure everything's okay, to check in, do a little teaching, and supplementing what's already happening. It's a beautiful thing. Verse 7 says, So that the ends of the earth fear him. Bless us, please, God. Why? So that all people to the ends of the earth will fear you. There's this glorious circle. We're blessed by God. We use that blessing to reach a hurting world. We're aligned with God's heart. God's name is known and lifted up. He is glorified. People come to know him. We are blessed. And it goes right back into that beautiful circle of blessing. In conclusion today, are you a conduit or a cul-de-sac? What do I mean by that? What I mean is God's blessing in our lives is not meant to end there. We're not meant to be a cul-de-sac. We're meant to be a conduit where we pass on God's blessings that he gives to us for his glory, for his name, so that people can come to know Christ. That is the way that Jesus lived. He didn't come to this earth and just say, God, would you please bless me? Although he was. He realized that he came here to suffer. He came here to die. He came here to die a horrible death in reality. 
He prayed that God would be glorified is what he prayed. John 12, 27 and 28. Jesus said the night before, he said, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Question mark. No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. God's name is being glorified through the death of Jesus Christ. Because of his death, we are blessed. But all of it is for his glory. I just want to end with praying verse one over you and then I'm going to invite Phil to come up and lead us in communion. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine on us. Amen.